Hello everyone, my name is Yetzia, creator of OnlineTemplateShop.com and I mean if you're here, you know who I am. I don't need to necessarily reintroduce myself on any of that in case you don't know who I am or you're here but just, you know, stumbling upon this episode. I'm going to leave a link to the first two episodes so you can learn a little bit more about me and there'll be a few more links in the description box so you can get a little bit of context of, you know, who is it that you are listening to. But if you're here, you probably got, uh, you know, a direct link from an email that I sent out or you've been a subscriber for a while or you've been, I've been in your world for a while. This episode is one that I never thought I was going to record. I mean, who thinks they're going to record an episode on how their husband or, you know, partner, life partner um, passed away? That is such a cruel thought. Again, just something that one would never think about especially when it is out of nowhere. Um, I know it's different for everyone, um, whether you have a loved one who has been sick for a while and you know that, you know, death is something that is going to happen soon enough. But when it happens very unexpected, when something so big in your life is just taken away, it's it hits different. It's it's just heavy in a different way. About a month ago, I sent out an email to my email list announcing that my partner of almost 11 years had unexpectedly passed away. I will go more into detail um, on our relationship, on how he passed away, what happened and what happened after and how my son and I are handling all of this. Today is October 12 when I am recording this. Um, he was officially pronounced dead October 12. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that story because even the actual date of death, it's it's such a convoluted um, story on itself. So let's start from the beginning. His name is Amador Abraham Amaraz. He was 44 years old and he passed away September 10th, 2023. He turned 44 on August 30th. So just about 11 days after he celebrated his 44th birthday, he passed away. And I will tell you the story of what happened that day and even the day before and even the week before, because all of that is important to this story. I think it's also important that you know why I have chosen to share all of this information so publicly. And it is because if there's one thing that you get from this episode is do not ignore the signs of illness. Do not ignore the signs of there's something going on in your body that you can't quite explain. Um, I think ultimately that's what killed him. And I'll go more into detail um, as the episode goes by. But if you have a feeling that you or someone you know is going through something, there's something in their body that is not quite right, 
please, I encourage you to seek medical advice. Do not let it pass. Do not just brush it off because it's always something. Okay. Don't think, oh, it's nothing. It's always something. Seek medical advice. Seek um, help from trusted medical professionals because this is very important, um, not just for that person who might be ill, who might be going through something. It's also important for all the people around them. Reason number two why I want to share this story is because we are about 30 something days away, um, not away, but like past what happened. And as day goes by, I feel like I keep forgetting little details that are important. And I want to just give as much detail in this episode and have something to listen to years down the road for myself, for our son. Um, If you didn't know, we have a nine-year-old. He will be 10 in January. And I would like him to have this recording when he's, you know, 44 and he's missing his father and thinking about his father, that he has this recording to go back to and remember the little nuances and the little details of what happened a week prior and what happened, you know, days after his death. With that all said, let's get into the story. And I want to start with telling you a little bit of how we met and how things, you know, have happened over the past few years. So we met in 2012. It was January. See, I'm already messing up the year. No, it was 2013. It was actually February 7th, 2013, when we met. We met online on POF, Plenty of Fish. I don't know if that website still exists. I literally have no idea, but that's how we met. Um, I was shopping at a Whole Foods. I had just gone out of work. I went to Whole Foods to buy a couple of things. I'm done with my shopping. I'm walking to my car and my phone rings. And it was, I recognized the number to being uh, this guy that I was seeing, not, not, not even dating, this guy I saw a few times, you know, we went out a few times, um, the just a few months prior to that. And it didn't end very well. It was like, bah, whatever. So I recognized the number that it was him calling me and I got so mad. I just hung up. I didn't even answer. I got so mad and I just stopped right there in the middle of the um, parking lot. And I just say to my angels, I'm like, why, why do I keep meeting this type of guy? Like, I'm not interested. He's not for me. I'm 31 years old. Isn't it time for me to actually meet the person who's, who, will be, you know, my partner forever. And I just asked my guardian angels, like, what do I need to do? What do I do? Tell me what to do now. What do I need to do? I was so mad. So I drive home and on the drive home, I immediately get this image in my head that I needed to go online. I needed to go to this website. I needed to create a profile. Why this website? Because one of my friends met her husband there and she kept mentioning it to me like, 
well, you, you know, people meet people online now and you have to try it. And I just kept, you know, brushing it off. Like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. So I got home, I opened my laptop, I created this profile, I put it on private, um, so no one could find me, I uploaded like two or three pictures, I filled out the basics of my profile. And I did a search, I remember there was like a search function in which you could put your, um, your zip code, and it will show you people around you. But I forgot to put my zip code. I just literally hit search. I put like male and um, ages between whatever ages I put there. And I hit search right before I could put my zip code. So immediately I, I regretted it. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to show me people so far away. But anyway, um, he was the third profile on that list. I mean, immediately when the page loads with the different profiles of these guys, he was number three on that list. And I immediately fixated on on him on that profile. And I clicked on it. And I started looking through the pictures, literally the, the one and only <laughs> um, picture, you know, profile that I ever looked at was his. And I look at the pictures and the his profile picture, I can see he has this angel tattoo on his arm. It's huge. It goes from his elbow almost to his wrist. And that's the first thing I see. He has this angel wing um, on his arm. And I'm like, is this a message? You know, I was just angry at my guardian angels <laughs> that I needed to meet this guy. And suddenly this is it. This is the one, um, profile that I see. And he has an actual tattoo of an actual angel on his arm, a huge one. So, you know, I kept looking at the profile and he has a few pictures. I read, I noticed that he has kids and I'm like, great, because you know, at the time I didn't want to have kids. I, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids. And I just was looking for a guy who had already fulfilled those needs in his life. So I wouldn't have to feel pressured that I have to get married. I have to have kids and all that. I just wanted a partner. I just wanted a life partner who could meet me where I was. And that was him. Literally, that was him. And that was it. I messaged him. I said, hi. Hi, how are you? I think. And within five minutes, he had responded and he was like, hi. He thought it was a robot or one of those fake profiles because my profile was um, very private and he could only see the one profile picture. So I sent him um, a few more pictures and I was like, I promise I'm, I'm, I'm real. I'm this real person. Immediately, I gave him my phone number and we started texting. I think we only spoke on the phone like a couple of times before we met. We met in person two weeks later. Um, it was February 16th, I believe, when we finally met in person. We had been texting, you know, for, for two weeks. Um, we met at a Chili's in Brandon. If you, I, I know a lot of you live very close to me in the Tampa Bay area. So if you know what I'm talking about, there's this Chili's <laughs> restaurant in Brandon on um, close to the Brandon Mall. That's where we met. That was our first date there. We went, we had dinner. It was lovely. After that, we went to the movies. There's an AMC theater um, across the street. Just, just a little bit down the street, there's an AMC theater. We went to watch a movie and 
it was lovely. You know, it, it was the most wonderful date. Uh, it was so perfect. It was so cold that day. It was like 30 something, which is very cold for Florida. And I still have the, the dress that I was wearing that day. Um, it's still in my closet. I saved it and I have that dress. And from then on, we were together <laughs> always um, up until, you know, uh, the, the date of, of his death. Um, I got pregnant about three months after we met, which was a total shock because I was told very a, a lot of times that I couldn't have kids. And when we met, I was very honest with him. Like, I'm glad that you are divorced, that you have two children because I don't want to get married and I don't want children. And even if I wanted children, I can't get pregnant. And I was very honest with him from day one. Um, I am not looking for a man to take care of me. I'm not looking for anything like that. I'm looking for a true life partner and we just got together and we got pregnant three months after I was 31 and it was a total shock. She, um, he knew that I was pregnant, uh, before I even did. He come, he came home one day, like I'm sick. I'm, you are pregnant. And I'm like, no, that's impossible. He spent the weekend in bed. Then Monday he comes back from work with a pregnancy test and he's like here take it so you can be sure that you are pregnant and that I am right and I'm like okay whatever and I took the pregnancy test right before bed I went to bed he's he's already in bed and I went to bed and I'm getting all cozy and he's like are you gonna take the the damn test and I'm like oh my god you're gonna get me out of bed now so I get out of bed take the test just to prove to him no I'm not pregnant and well I was very, very pregnant and I started screaming in the bathroom <laughs> and I come out showing him the pregnancy test, which I still have. I have the actual stick. Um, I saved it, holding it in my hand and looking at him like, oh my God, I'm positive. And he's looking at me like, I told you. He was so calm and so like, told you so. And uh, that was it. You know, I immediately called my mother, started screaming on the phone and... Uh, the day after we was it the day after like a couple days after I get um a work offer to go be a teacher in Dallas at this time we were living in Tampa and I said yes you know like I have to you know we're having a baby we need to move. Oh, no, I told him I'm moving to Dallas. What are you going to do? And he was like, well, we'll, we'll move. We'll go together. And that's it. We moved about a month after that. Cause I found out it was in May. We moved, I think it was July 1st. So it was probably five weeks after we found out we were pregnant. We were on a U-Haul, you know, moving to Texas and we lived in Texas for two years. That's where my son was born in Dallas. Then after two years, we decided to come back to Tampa. And this is where we've been, you know, the Tampa Bay area in general for the past eight or, or so years. Now, last year, April 30th, 2022, we got engaged. Um, 
I knew we were going to get engaged because in December, so about four months before that, we had gone to this jewelry store and I had picked out the ring that I wanted. We had been there probably twice and I finally found one that I liked and we bought the ring that day. Um, and he told me, well, I, I guess I now have to propose to you. <laughs> so anyway, about four months after um, we were at Magic Kingdom in Disney World. It was, we were there for my birthday. My mom was visiting and I was like, okay, let, let's go. You know, that's fun. We haven't been there in a while. So we went there. It was a lovely day and we are sitting in front of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, the the roller coaster, no, I, I don't think it's a roller coaster. It's one of the boat rides. And we're sitting there for a while because we're tired. No, we have been walking all day. And suddenly he takes out the the ring and I could not believe it. I did not think at all <laughs> that he was gonna propose that day at all. And he turns out he had planned it all and it's very fitting that it was in front of Pirates of the Caribbean because I'm Puerto Rican. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico my whole life. I was 30 when I moved to the United States. So a true Caribbean girl. And it was very fitting that he did it in front of the Pirates of the Caribbean. My mom was there, my son was there and my son I actually stopped him when he started talking started to you know give his proposal speech I told him no 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 stop 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 and I turned on my phone and gave it to our son here record it and it was the funniest thing his face just started laughing he laughs when he gets nervous and he proposed my son got it on you know on my phone and I I go back to the video so much um and we got engaged, you know, he gave me the ring, I said yes, and it was wonderful. And, you know, I kept joking um, that I'm, because we got engaged at Magic Kingdom, I'm now a Disney princess. And um, Johnny Depp, who played Captain Jack Sparrow on the movie Pirates of the Caribbean, has to, you know, marry us. So anyway, um, we were planning to get married in Puerto Rico. I just wanted to go to Puerto Rico with like 10 people, you know, like my parents and just us, you know, get married. Just us. Well, that never happened. Um, I know I keep saying my husband because we always called each other that, you know, after our son was born, it was like, we're in it, we're in this. I'm, uh, and I told him like, I'm in it till the day we die, you know, um, so we, we were never married. We were engaged. Um, so when I say husband, we weren't, you know, like legally married, but we always called each other that that's why I keep referring him to him as my husband. Um, we were together almost 11 years, like 10 and a half ish years. And it was absolutely wonderful we accomplished so much together. We had a son together. He finished his GED. Um, what, like five years ago, I believe he, which was a huge dream for him was to finish high school. He never finished high school. So he got his GED. Our son was able to attend the graduation. Um, he got certified as an HVAC tech. It was, a very proud moment for him and for our son as well, you know, to be able to attend this huge accomplishment that your father had worked on. 
um we bought a house together a little over three years ago it was june 2020 when we bought this house and we you know we had the most wonderful life together without going into detail because this part is not my story um this story belongs to him and him only and I would never share the details of what he told me but he had a very rough upbringing his childhood was chaotic full of neglect and abuse and just very ugly things happening to him which again I'm not going to share because that is not my story to tell and these are things that I'll share with our son when the time comes but I do want to share that that those experiences that he had when he was a child shaped him as a father he was always very protective of our son he used his own experiences to shape how he was as a father to make sure that he never did to our son and he never did to me the things that were done to him and that he experienced now that we have talked about the background and how we met and all that let's start talking about what happened about a week before he passed away so it was a Saturday and we're out you know we're just doing our family thing we went I think we were to Lowe's and suddenly he said he was starting to feel dizzy um I did forget to say in the beginning the actual cause of death and I'm going to tell you now because it will make when I tell you everything that happened it will make more sense so he had a hemorrhagic stroke and I know I'm saying that wrong that word wrong I'm sorry English is not my first language and sometimes I say things wrong but he had a stroke basically um many things happened at the same time he had a stroke they found a clot in his heart and they found another one in his leg so many things happened at the same time. The difference about what is a hemorrhagic stroke is, is that the vein in the left side of his brain exploded. And I'm using that word exploded because that's the word that the surgeon used. It really stuck to me. It stuck to me so much that I can't even remember the name of the vein. Um, I just remember that word when he said exploded my God, my stomach sank to my feet. And it really stuck with me. Um, so it wasn't just that he had a stroke. It His system gave up, basically. And to give you a little bit of background, he his blood pressure, his normal was like 200. He lived in the 200s. Like if it, if it had like 180 blood pressure, uh, if it had 180 blood pressure, that was great for him because he lived in the 200s and that is not healthy at all i mean you you know that no one lives in the 200s that is not a thing and that that was him that was his life you know he lived in the 200s and his father and his grandmother they both have had multiple strokes. They're both alive. His father is in his early 60s. His grandmother is in her a like early 80s. Um, my husband was 44 when he passed away. 
so there's a long history of strokes in his family. And when he started getting dizzy that Saturday, I didn't think much of it. Honestly, like in the beginning, I didn't think much of it until we got done at Lowe's. I told him because we're there to get something specific. And I was like, you know what? Go to the car, sit there. We can handle it. And me and my son went and got whatever we needed. We got to the truck and I, he was laying down in the truck, like eyes closed and everything. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, but I'm super dizzy. I can't even open my eyes. And I'm like, okay, sit over here. I'll drive home, whatever. On the way home, I told him, I feel like we should go to the ER. And this is where I just thinking back to what happened I shouldn't have even asked him if he wanted to go to the ER. I should have just drove to the ER and just let him be mad at me, you know. I'm I'm laughing now, but I've cried about this so much. I should have gone to the ER and just let him be mad at me if he wanted to be mad at me because dad could I mean, thinking back on the way he died, I don't think that could have ultimately saved his life, but he could have been in care. It didn't have to happen the way it happened. Um, and he could have gotten some care that day because I believe and he believed too that he was having a stroke and I was mad at him that day I was like let's go we need to go to the ER and the next day he kept feeling dizzy he had like one dizzy spell not as bad as that one that he had um, on Saturday but he was a little bit dizzy like it kind of came and went um, and that week he called his father and his father told him, that's what happened to me. You need to go to the ER. You need to go get it checked out because I believe it's a stroke. And we Googled it and it came up as a stroke. You know, we had all of these signs. That's why I have almost like blamed myself in, in a way, because there's much more that I should have done. Um, I understand that he's his own person. He's an adult and it he it was on him to go or not, but I should have pushed more. You know, this is why I said in the beginning of this episode, if you have a if you think someone close to you is not well, it just make sure that if you believe that you can help them, if you believe that you can insist a, a little bit more, do so. Um, because the guilt and the regret that I have, it's what hurts the most, I believe. Um, so the week went by and then Saturday... He died on a Sunday, so the Saturday, the day before, which would have been a week after the first, you know, dizzy spell when we believe he had his first stroke. Um, it was our son's game day. My Our son plays soccer. So it was a normal day. You know, we woke up, we went to soccer. We had the loveliest day. We came back home. We stayed home pretty much all day. He was talking about how he was feeling a lot better, that he hadn't had a dizzy spell in days. So everything was fine. But I don't know. I had this feeling he was very calm 
And he's not usually a very calm person. <laughs> he's quiet and he's, you know, calm and collected. But he was like extremely calm in an in a weird way. And we had a lovely weekend. We just hung out at home that Saturday. And then he tells me in the afternoon, let's go to Ikea tomorrow. And he did not like Ikea, like at all. He would... Every time I said Ikea, he would just run away. He did not like Ikea, but he insisted to take me to Ikea on Sunday, which was the day he passed away. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I woke up early Sunday. I told him, let's just, let's go eat breakfast. Let's get ready. Let's go to Ikea because he wanted to go to Ikea, mind you. So anyway, he took us to Ikea. We walked around. He got me a... It's like a map of New York City where you can see Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, I am obsessed with New York City. I've always wanted to live there. And he saw we're just walking around. He sees it. It's like a metal print. It's just beautiful. Um, He sees it and he wants to grab it. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, this is $30. Plus in Ikea, you know that you can't take that that first thing that, that you see. Um, you have to go pick it up somewhere else. So I told him, e- either way, this is not the one that we take. We got to go downstairs and pick it up from downstairs. So we get downstairs, we see it, and it turns out it was like $50 instead of $30. And I told him, no, 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 not just no way you're gonna spend $50 on this thing. Just no. And he insisted he just took it and put it in the cart. And then our son approaches us and he's like, what is that? And he says, that's where your mother wants to live. And looking back, it was such a weird thing to say, because I don't think he's ever said those words before. You know, we've always joked that You know, that I I always wanted to go there. He knew that, you know, from day one, I'm obsessed with New York City. And when we went to New York City, it was back in 2021, we took a solo trip to New York City. And we were sitting in front of the Plaza Hotel. If you're familiar with Manhattan, you know, the, the Plaza Hotel is kind of across the street from um, Central Park. And there's like a little space there where you can sit. So we sat there and we're sitting there and I, I don't know where I tell him, if you ever leave me, this is where you're going to come look for me, you know. <laughs> um, and that that conversation haunts me to this day, you know, that I told him that if you ever leave me, this is where you can come find me. So anyway, um, so he said that when he picked up that frame where with the Manhattan Brooklyn map he tells that to our son and I I didn't say anything I was just so taken aback by that comment you know like why would he say that but he didn't say it he he said it in a very calm matter-of-fact way like he wasn't trying to be attitude or or anything so I just let him you know buy me that map that I still haven't put up it's gonna sit in in front of my computer so I can look at it um, every time will I ever move to New York City? I mean, who knows? It's been my lifelong dream. Maybe I will one day. I don't think that's, <clears throat> I don't think that's what I'm going to do right now. So we'll see. I'll update you if I end up <laughs> moving to New York City finally. 
Um, we'll see. And then after that, we came home. We decided to grill that day because there was a um, football game that day. It was the first game of the season and the Dolphins were playing. The, the Dolphins, he's obsessed with the Dolphins since he was little. That was his team. He was born in Miami and he loved the, the Dolphins and they were playing that day. So we went after we came home, we dropped a few things off and then we were like, okay, we need a few things to grill. So we need to go to Winn-Dixie and we need to go to Walmart to buy a few things. So we got the food. He paid for the food, um, which I mean, it's not strange that he would pay for the food, but it took me by surprise that he got ahead of me in line like he made it very purposely that he was gonna pay for the food at the food store and I'm like okay that's strange but anyway he paid for the food then we went to Walmart because we needed some I can't I can't remember what it was that we needed we went to Walmart and that when he insisted on buying our son a toy so we we went to the toy section and he bought our son a monster truck. And my son has a lot of monster trucks. He has purchased our son um, a lot of monster trucks. We would go to the monster truck show every every single year. He has a lot of monster trucks. Big big ones, small ones, whatever. So he insisted. Our son, I remember him looking at the trucks. He was like, Papi, I have every truck here. Like, I don't need anything else. I mean, you tell a nine-year-old, hey, I'm going to buy you a monster truck. He would jump, right? And he was looking at the monster truck. He was like, Papi, I already have everything you bought me, every single one of them. And he, my, my husband was like, no, no, no. Look closely. Pick one. Just just pick one. I, I want to buy it for you. And they finally found one that he didn't have. And uh, he bought it for him. You know, we left the store. He bought the monster truck. And that was the last gift he bought me a last gift he bought him a last gift he cooked for us one last time because we then came back home and we started grilling um we kept it simple that day was like hot dogs and burgers so I didn't have to prep a lot he went outside he was cooking for us my son and I were doing some gardening. We needed to pick some weeds from the gr- from the ground. We needed to water the the grass. So he was cooking and then my son and I were kind of like doing some gardening outside. It was a lovely day. He was watching the game as he was grilling. Um, we were playing ball. Then my son got a football. They were throwing the football. It was such a lovely, wonderful, calm day. Um, we finally came back in to have dinner and my son has to have, was having kind of a bit of an attitude and I was mad I remember I was very mad at him because he, my son was being very attitude towards me about every little thing like it wasn't something big it was like every little thing like I told him go take a shower he got mad at me like little things like that you know and I was very upset and we were sitting at the table and Again, my husband was being very, very calm, which he usually isn't when our son is having one of those, you know, nine-year-old times when he just wants to get away with whatever he wants. We were sitting and he was very calmly talking to him to calm him down and to get him to 
to stop with the attitude and just eat your food. We're sitting here. We're a family. Let's have a lovely afternoon together. And that's what we did. We just ate. And finally, your son just came back from his little um, angry spell and we finished dinner. At that time, it must have been like 6 or 7 p.m., something like that. The game had started or the game was like halfway through. I have no clue. I don't follow football. So anyway, he we sat down. I was cleaning. He was watching the game. He was screaming at the TV because his team was losing. And we finally sat down together on the couch. It must have been around 8 p.m. or so. Then our son needed to go to bed. So he gave his father a hug and a kiss. He was mad because he wanted to go to bed with his dad. And I told him, no, you have to go to bed by yourself because the game's not over yet. So he went to his bed and my husband and I stayed in the living room. We were sitting together. He was texting with his brother um, the whole time because they would tease each other (laughs) with football games because they like opposing teams. So they were texting, you know, it, it was a normal afternoon. He was very excited because in the last two minutes of the game, the Dolphins won and no one saw that coming. And, uh, He was, you know, he was arms up, jumping in the air, so happy, screaming at the TV, just celebrating that his team had won. And uh, I was just looking at him like, okay, you know, whatever. (laughs) I I think I was on my iPad. I wasn't watching something. I was just uh, scrolling on Facebook or reading emails, whatever. And he was, you know, jumping up and down celebrating. And then, you know, the game ended, he sat down next to me. And it was about maybe 10 minutes after the game had ended, and he had finished texting with his brother, that he got up from the couch, he grabs his phone, and he touches my foot. We have one of those couches. Um, um, I forget what the name is, but that you can put your your feet up. So my feet were in the air and he touches my left foot because he was sitting left to me. So he gets up, he touches my left foot and I'm like, okay, he's going to go take a shower because earlier he had said he wanted to take a shower before bed. Um, So, okay, he's going to go take a shower. Now, at this time, it was probably around 9.05 p.m., What I'm going to start saying from now on, this part of the story, it's going to get very graphic. Um, I won't say every single detail, but it will. What I'm going to say will be graphic. If this bothers you, I encourage you to stop listening here because it's not pleasant. The, The rest of the story is not pleasant at all. Um, also I was just looking at my phone to see what time it was that I actually called 911 that night and I couldn't find that call. In fact, there's no calls on my phone for that day. And I don't know why that is. I am positive I used my own phone to call 911, but it's not, the call is not recorded on my calls. I mean, I checked all the way back to June, 2023. There's no 911 call on my phone and I don't know if that's on purpose, if that's how it works, that phones just don't um, record, you know, on uh, when you go to your recent calls, 
911 doesn't show there. I have no like idea. It's not there. Um, but I'm pretty sure I used my phone. I didn't use his. It was my phone that I had used at that time. But anyway, um, again, I encourage you to stop listening here if you don't want to hear, you know, the more graphic details about what happened after. Okay, so after he got up and went to the shower, I know he made it to the shower because I heard the shower come on. So I know that happened. About 15 minutes after that happened, probably 10, 10 to 15 minutes, my son wakes up. Mind you, at that point, he had been in bed for like an hour. He wakes up, he's holding his belly, and he's like, mommy, my belly hurts. Now, that happens a lot. He he, he will do that. Um, so I tell him, okay, just come sit down here. Papi's taking a shower. Um, when he comes out, you can go lie down with him. And he sits down. And he says, as soon as he sits down, he sees his father come out of the shower. I didn't see him. Everything was very, very dark. The only thing, the only light on in our house was the TV. I did not see him at all. I could have seen him. Where I, from where I was sitting, I could have seen him come out of the shower. But I didn't. Um, there was no light. There was nothing. The room was pitch dark. He usually takes showers in the dark. So there was no light on at all. I could not see him. But my son swears that he saw him come out of the shower. So about five or 10 minutes later, I tell him, you know what, papi's busy. I thought he was still in the bathroom or something. I told him, you know what, papi's busy, go to room, fall asleep, whatever. He gets up, he was mad at me. He gets up the couch and he's walking in front of my room by the door. He's like, papi's in bed. And I'm like, no, that's impossible. Papi cannot be in bed because he would never go to bed without kissing me. He would before going to bed would kiss. Um, every night he gives me a kiss. He says, you know, I love you. He goes to bed. That's every single night for the past 10 and a half years. So I knew that couldn't be possible. Like, no, he's not in bed. You must be, can you go check? Maybe it's just a pillow. I remember telling him this. Can you go check? Maybe it's just a pillow. He goes in the room. He says, no, papi's in bed. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And then I get up, I go in the room, I start putting my son in bed. I mean, my husband is in bed. He's not moving at all. I thought he was asleep, honestly. And I start hearing noises. And I wasn't sure, was it him? Was it the dog? We have a dog. She's a very loud snorer. My husband doesn't snore at all. Um, so I was confused. Like, is it him? Is it the dog? Like, where's that sound coming from? He, uh, mind you, I'm right in front of my husband. Like, he's laying down right in front of me. I'm, I'm on, I'm on his side of the bed, and my son is getting on my side of the bed, which is on the other side. So I put him in bed, um, and I tell him, "Hold on, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I'll be right back." Uh, also, because I wanted to make sure that the noises weren't coming from the dog. Because again, my husband's not moving at all. So it was kind of hard to tell. I go to the bathroom, maybe a minute later, I'm coming back. I'm still hearing the noises. And now I notice that it was my husband making noises. Um, He's not moving at all. And he's tucked in. Like it looked on purpose. It looked like he was sleeping. It wasn't like he fell on the bed. It wasn't like he was just lying down on the bed and then something happened. No, he was in bed, completely covered, in position to sleep, just the same way he goes to sleep. So nothing, none of this 
is weird to me other than he would never go to bed without kissing me. That was the only thing. And at that point, I'm like, why would he do this? You know, I'm right here. He could have just given me a kiss or say goodnight. Like, I'm mad at him. Look how stupid it my thought process was. You know, I'm a little bit not mad. I wasn't upset. But like, why would he do that? You know, <laughs> why would he go to bed without kissing me? And suddenly I, I keep hearing the same moaning. It, it wasn't even moaning. It was like an eh sound coming from him like eh eh thinking back he must have been trying to say help I don't know um I think at this point I touched him because I thought he's snoring is he talking in his sleep like at no point I thought he was in distress at no point I, I thought something was happening I put my son in bed I tell him just lie down shut up I go back out I sit on the couch and I think I sat on the couch for another minute when I get up and I notice the light is on and I walk in my my son had turned um, the night light on he was sitting in bed looking at me with his eyes open and I look at my husband and he had mustered enough strength to get the comforter off of him. And I noticed that he is not wearing any clothes. He is lying down, his body's laying down, and he's not wearing any clothes. Oh my God. I knew. I knew right then and there. I my my son is staring at me and he's like, something wrong with Bobby. And I'm like, honey, I know. I know. I rushed to him. I started talking to him like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? His eyes are open. He can't move at all. And I started like punching him on his arm, trying to, you know, because a stroke was the first thing that came to my mind, right? And I've heard that when people have strokes, they can't feel or whatever. So I started punching him in his arm and I'm like, can you feel this? And he keeps making noises like, eh, eh, eh. And I started just like pinching his legs and everyone like, oh, like, oh my God. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to call 911. I grab my phone. I call 911. I have to leave the room because there's no signal in my house. The only way I can talk on the phone is if I'm standing on the sliding door on the back. So my son gets out of bed. He's crying. My son is crying at this point, like totally freaking out. Holds and I tell him, hold his head, hold your father's head so he doesn't choke because he's belly down, face down, like the way he would sleep. I tell him, hold your father, please, so he doesn't choke. And there I leave my son holding his father. And I leave the room, call 911. They made me wait on the line. Like, how ridiculous is that? Um, like they made me wait probably 30 seconds or so. It felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably like about 30 seconds. And I tell the guy, hey, this is going on. And then the guy asks me, you know, he asked me my phone, my address, whatever. And then the first question that he asked me is, has he ever had a stroke before? And I'm like, no. I mean, I, at that point, I couldn't think like, how does he even know it's a stroke? I mean, thinking back is pretty obvious. But at that point, I'm not thinking that, you know. Um, and I said, no. And the next question was something like, did he throw up yet? And I said, no. But then as he's asking me that, I walk back into the room 
And then I look at my husband and then there, right then and there, he starts throwing up. <clears throat> so I walk up to him. It wasn't much that he was throwing up. But then I told my son, I called 911. The 911 guy was still on the phone with me. I, call, I told my son, I'll take care of this. Go open the garage door, go open the front door, stand by the door. And when you see lights, run out and please just flag them down. Tell them that it's here. So my son does that. He goes outside. He he literally waited outside until he saw the lights. Um, About, it took probably two minutes. It was so fast. It was probably two minutes later that um the, oh my God. The, the firemen arrived while we're waiting. My son is outside, um, just waiting to see the lights, whatever. I'm inside. I'm trying to clean out the, the throw up because at this point it got a little bit more chunky and I literally had to wipe with my hands, you know, wipe the throw up away so he wouldn't choke. And I hear my son screaming from outside. He's like, that that the um, firemen are here. He's like, the lights are here, lights are here, lights are here. I run out. I leave my husband by himself in bed. I run outside just to kind of hurry them up. And they parked in front of my neighbor's house. So the guy gets out of the truck. He is like, good night. Is, is everything okay? And I'm like, fuck no. Please hurry up. And I just hurry him, like, just go, 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 please. And the guy, he seemed surprised. Like, I guess he wasn't expecting me to say fuck no. Um, now, I, I, I need to stop right here and just tell you. The size of these men that got out of this truck. They were all men. They were huge. I had never seen humans of that size I got like at least in person every single guy that got out of that truck it was probably three I believe might have been four could have been four yeah because two of them were in the room and then there was like a couple more that were kind of like making calls and when there was another one taking notes whatever so it might have been four um they were freaking huge I let the first guy go in front of me and I'm telling him where to go. And I remember thinking, how is he going to fit through the door? Because this guy was huge. And I, and I don't mean fat, like he wasn't overweight. He was very tall, very muscular, and just like wide. His body was very wide, and he was very tall. And every single person that got out of the stroke was like that. I know at that moment, a moment of distress, at a moment of... I. How am I even noticing this? It was the only thing I could fixate on is how huge these men were. And I'm so grateful for that because my husband was like 320 pounds, you know, six foot tall, 320 pounds, um, probably less than that, probably like 310 or so, but still, you know, 300 pounds, six feet, six foot tall guy. Um, I I was so grateful that these men were huge because I was trying to flip him over so he wouldn't choke. Now, thinking back, I'm glad I didn't flip him over because if he was, you know, facing up and throwing up, he was going to choke. So I'm kind of glad that I was able to at least get him on his side and I was able to push the throw up um, away from his face. Um, 
So they come in, I tell them what happened. Immediately they notice, you know, immediately upon looking at him, they knew this was a stroke. The guy is talking on his, whatever he had in his hand. It wasn't his phone, like a walkie talkie. I have no idea. And telling people, you know, stroke, blah, 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 blah. You say, he was telling so many words. I can't even remember. The other guy rushes in and they're like, okay, we need to flip him. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. Um, so one of the guys gets, I mean, both of them get in the bed, like they're standing in my bed, grabbing him one on one side, one on the other. The guy yells at me, grab him by his feet and let's flip him over. We flipped that man. We flipped my husband like a pancake. That's the only way I can describe it. Literally like a pancake in like two seconds flat. Boom. And he was awake. My husband was awake the whole time. He left the house. He was awake. Um, he was, um, he couldn't talk. He couldn't move, but he was trying to answer all the questions. The two guys that were there, they kept talking to him at all times, asking him a lot of questions. Um, sometimes just trying to make conversation to keep him awake. Um, I, I guess that's what they were trying to do because they never stopped talking to him at no point they ever stopped talking to him. And it was about 10 minutes from the time they arrived to the time that they finally willed him out of the house. It was about 10 minutes. Um, and the whole time they were talking to him. And at this point, the paramedics arrived. Um, it was another probably four or five men. There were so many people in my house. It was probably five of them that uh, arrived on top of the original four that were in the house already. Um, my son, at this point, I noticed that I hadn't seen my son in like five minutes. I'm like, what is he doing? Turns out he has stayed outside and he was telling, you know, people what to do and where to go. And he was answering questions because I overhear him talking to one of the paramedics Um answering questions. He turns out he was able to find his wallet. He got his ID. He was guiding the paramedics to where he kept. My husband used to keep all of his medication. He answered even some recent medical history that he had had. My son was able to answer, answer every single question that the paramedics needed for him. He handled all of that. How does a nine-year-old do that? Ooh, I'm crying because I'm so proud of him and how calm he remained and how useful he was on saving his father or, you know, not saving him because he eventually died, but trying to do the most to help and help his father. So I noticed that's going on. I don't even interrupt them. I was chaotic at this point. And while the paramedics and the firemen had him handled. I started running around like a chicken, <laughs> just trying to find clothes for my husband because I thought, okay, he's going to be in there. He's naked. I need to find some clothes for him. I grab a bag and I throw, you know, underwear, shorts, shirt. I think I put socks on, on that bag just to take with me to change him, you know, to put something on him when we are at the hospital. At no point I thought he was dying. Oh my God. I, it never, never, never crossed my mind that he was dying. Um, 
then two of the paramedics show up at the door like how are we gonna get him out because my dining table is kind of blocks the the entrance and I was like I'm gonna push this dining table and I just pushed the dining table to the door it looked like a house had exploded um one of the paramedics came in and he literally moved everything out of the way the the side tables the dining table the part some parts of of the couch he had to kind of move a little bit to kind of get um the 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 stretcher in the house and then out of the house um so they did that I helped them then I wasn't there when they got him out of the bed into this the stretcher because I was kind of trying to talk to one of the paramedics because my son was handling that my son was handling all of the technical parts of of everything um I finally jump in like what else do you need and he was like no I don't need anything else your son was was wonderful and I'm just here writing down all, all of the medications that he used to take and I'm like okay great I grabbed my son by the hand we walked into the kitchen to kind of stay out of the way because I I could overhear that they were ready to wheel him out we stand in the kitchen and that's the last time I saw him basically um they wheeled him out be no before that happened before I interrupted my son and the the captain that they were talking I was in the room and I was trying to hug my husband and just hug his head because I knew he was looking for me he couldn't move his body but he could move his eyeballs and I could see his eyeballs looking around the room just trying to look for me because I was talking like he could hear me like he was starting to look for me so I stand next to him and but one of the paramedics was in between us or actually it was one of the firemen he was in between us so I couldn't quite hug him completely so I was trying to just touch his head and try to calm him down and tell him I'm here I love you we're here with you we're coming with you we love you babe and I kept touching his head I could tell that he was trying to find me. He was moving his eyeballs and I could tell that he was trying to find me. I don't know if he was able to see me. His eyes seemed lost. I don't know if he lost eyesight. I have no idea. Um, They seemed lost, but they were moving like trying to find me. So he finally looked sideways towards where I was. I don't know if he was able to see me. I was very calm. I wasn't crying or anything. I was just very loving and that's when I noticed the paramedics coming in. So I um, leave the room to kind of give them space. And yeah, that's when I hold my son. We're holding hands. I'm, I'm, I have my purse with me. I have the bag that I have made for him with his clothes. We're standing in the kitchen to kind of give them space to leave the house. And that's the last time we saw him really. Um, his eyes were open. I could tell he was awake, like he never lost consciousness. Um, but his eyeballs were bulging out of his head, basically. They were bulging, bulging. Like I had never seen that in my life. They were literally out of his face. I don't know if my son noticed that, um, but I did. I know he was awake. I know he was alive. They left the house. The captain told us like we're going to the hospital now. I asked him which one because I didn't. There's a hospital that's like five minutes away from us. But 
I don't like that one. So they said that we're going to the other one, which is where they ended up. They have a stroke unit over there. And I'm like, shit, that's great. But that's like, you know, that's, that's, that's like 20 minutes. Does he even have 20 minutes? I remember thinking, I, I never said it out loud. I just remember thinking this. Um, and he said, you know, wait five minutes after we leave. Don't follow us. Just take your time and we'll meet you there. So they left. I closed all the doors, put the dog in. And we got in the truck at that point, I hadn't cried yet. I was just in this shock state. I grabbed the phone and I called my mother and I told her, you know, my mother had a stroke. And that's where I started crying. My son wasn't crying yet. I think he, I think he didn't cry until we actually got to the hospital. Um, so I was talking to my mom all the way to the hospital. It took us to like 20 minutes to get to the hospital. Um, we got there, we got to the ER, we parked in the wrong entrance, I had to walk all around the, anyway, when we finally got to the ER, I walk in and I'm like, my husband was just brought here, um, and the guy asked me for my ID, he looks at my ID, he asked me for my son, for my husband's name, he looks, he just looks at me, and he's like, you need to go talk to her, pointing at this other lady that was in the check-in desk. And I go to her, she checks the computer, and when she asks, she asked me, what's your husband's name? And I tell him the name. And she's like, oh, literally, that, that's what she said. She looks at me, oh. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why would you say that? Um, And she's like, wait, you can't go in yet. Just sit there. They'll come get, no, she said the doctor will come get you. And I'm like, fuck, this is it. I just knew at that point. I just knew this is it. This is it. This is it. Something happened. That's it. He's dead. We sit down. I'm shaking, shaking. Just, I, I couldn't even walk. And about a minute later, the doctor walks out like an actual doctor walks out and he's just staring at me and he's like are you the wife I'm like yes and he says I'm so sorry that's all he said I'm so sorry I remember being so mad at that first this lady saying oh and then this one I'm so sorry like why you don't have to say anything you don't know what to say don't say anything because at this point we don't know anything my husband was alive when he left the house, you know? Why would you say that? Why would you put someone in in that emotional distress? So he makes me wait another minute or two. He was he was there the whole time, but he was he was like one of those walkie-talkies talking to someone else. I don't know, about my husband. I couldn't hear what they were talking about, but I anyway, we sat there for probably another minute and he was like, Okay, let, let's go now. We have a room for you. And I'm like, okay, so we're walking. We get to the room, room number 17. No, 33. Room number 33, which was right in front of the stroke unit. And I put my son in there. I sit him down. I put my things down. I come out of the, that room because I needed to call my mother to tell her, hey, we're inside. As I'm walking outside of the room, the ER doctor comes out and 
he didn't even ask me, you know, like, are you so-and-so? He literally just approached me and said, I'm sorry. He explained to me that he, he, he said only that his heart stopped on the way. Like when he arrived to the ER, his heart had stopped and he wasn't breathing. They had to revive him, basically resuscitate him um, to get his heart going again. And he had, he never was, he was never again able to breathe by himself. Um, he was intubated because he wasn't breathing by himself. He was never, after that happened, after the, the heart stopped beating and he stopped breathing, he was never able to breathe by himself. But they got his heart moving and his heart was beating by itself for a little while, for a few minutes, probably. Um, it wasn't long. Um, and he's like, he he didn't tell me at that point he's dead, but, you know, he was like he said it without saying the words. And he said, there's one more thing we can do after saying there's nothing else we can do, blah, blah, blah. I'm so sorry. He was like, there's one more thing we can do. There's one injection that they can do straight to the heart to see if the heart is communicating with the brain. And I said, don't even ask me, just go do it. Like, I said, why would you even ask me? Just go do it. Just go do whatever you need to do. I mean, just go. And the guy left and came back for about 30 seconds. And he's like, we were waiting for the surgeon. There was a brain surgeon. We're waiting for the surgeon. He's actually on his way right now. And we'll see if he wants to operate and try to get some of the blood out of his brain. And I'm like, okay. Maybe 10 minutes later or not even 10 minutes later. It was quite fast. The surgeon walks in. And he asked me, are you his wife? Blah, blah, blah. And he he said, ma'am, I'm sorry. There's nothing else we can do. The only thing I can do is you know, operate to get the bra- the blood out, but he's, he's brain dead. That That's when he actually used the word, he's brain dead. Then I asked him, okay, what happened? And he said that um, he was the one who explained to me who said the word explode. He was the one to say the vein in his brain, in the left side of his brain exploded. Um. And then he also explained that he had a clot on his heart and another one on his left leg. So, so many things happened at the same time. At that point, I don't think I was crying. I was in shock. I just could not believe it. It must, I don't think it was 11 p.m. yet. I think it must have been 1030 or so. Like all this happened so fast. It must have been 1030 at night. Um, You know, by the time he left the couch at the time, he's brain dead. Um, We talked for a little bit. I asked him, you know, are you sure? 
is is there anything else my son is in the other room my son is room 33 sitting down I'm in the room 34 we kind of walked in until the other room so my son wouldn't overhear things he didn't need to and I'm like okay whatever he said he's still in the stroke unit they're trying to prep him they're doing some more imaging and other things just to see what else and that was it like that was it you know he at that point I I knew that was it that that he was dead there there was literally nothing else he he died on the way to the hospital he didn't make it to the hospital um and I would say maybe about an hour later, he finally came out of the stroke unit. They had to clean him up. He had throw up everywhere, which was weird to me when they said they were cleaning him up because of the throw up. I didn't remember that much throw up, but I did find all the throw up the next morning when we finally came back home. Um, so about an hour later, I'm outside the room. I'm by the door talking on the phone to someone, probably his sister. I think I was talking to his sister when... I finally saw there was like a bunch of people. He was in one of those rolling beds in there. He was intubated. He had all um, tubes coming out of it everywhere. And I remember looking at him and I was like, okay, he's good. Like it gave me such a sense of calmness, even though I knew he was dead. I don't know why I still had some type of, I don't know, thoughts of maybe he's alive, you know, he wasn't. After that, we still had to wait for a while, like at least another 30 to 40 minutes before we could see him. Um, they had put him in room 17. I don't know why I remember these numbers. Um, right next to the nurse's station. Um, my aunt and uncle had made it already to the hospital. My mother-in-law was there. His aunt was there. Um, his best friend ended up also coming in about an hour later. It it was like this, I don't know, like everyone find out, you know, I didn't want to call his mother because I wasn't sure if she was awake, if she was feeling well, you know, I called his aunt um, which I didn't even have her number. I just found her on Facebook and I'm like, Hey, are you <laughs> Amador's aunt? And she called me immediately, like within five minutes, she called me like, Oh my God, what's going on? Cause I, I have met her, but I didn't have her number. And we weren't friends on Facebook either. Um, and just through messenger, I gave her my number. She called me immediately within five minutes. I explained what's going on. And she, um, uh, like 20 minutes later, they were at the hospital. No, not 30 minutes, like probably like 30 minutes later, they were at the hospital. Um, My aunt and uncle made it. We finally made it to the room. I didn't know that we could go into the room already. Like my aunt and uncle got to see him before I even got in there because no one had told me, hey, he's ready. You can go in to the other room. So I went into the other room and... We were there for a while. There was this other doctor that walked in. He looked very familiar. This doctor looked very familiar. I don't know why I'm still trying to think who he looks like. Maybe he looks like someone I know. I have no idea. But he looked very familiar. Like I had seen him before, but I have I, I don't I don't know. I didn't recognize his name either. It was just his face. 
looked very familiar. He was very kind, very, um, very warm and welcoming. He explained what the plan was. Um, he was intubated. The doctor was like, we don't have to, to remove him right now. You can just be with him. Um, we were waiting for a room in the ICU, which I kept, I thought it was so weird. Like he's dead. Why would you put him in the ICU? And I couldn't, I didn't have the emotional capacity to ask that question at the time. My aunt did. My aunt looked at him like, why in the ICU? I mean, he's, he's dead. <laughs> um, and he said, you'll be more comfortable there. Um, you don't have to make any decisions right now. Meaning that, do we unplug him or, or, or not? You know, just to put it bluntly like that. Um, they didn't want us to make those decisions right then and there, which I didn't want to make anyway, because I was still trying to get a hold of his daughters. He has two daughters, a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old. They live in Virginia. At that point, they didn't even know yet because I had reached out to them, to one of them um, on Messenger. I didn't have her number on my phone. I had it on my husband's phone, but I didn't have his phone with me. So I was just trying to reach them through messenger. She didn't reach. She saw them. She didn't reach out, but she saw the message sometime around five in the morning or so, because then her aunt called me to explain that the girls already knew that they were a mess, an emotional mess. They couldn't even speak on the phone. They were trying to find a, a, you know, a plane ticket to to come to us. They ended up arriving that same day. That would have been Monday. They ended up arriving that same day. And it, it was all so fast. I mean, everyone was devastated. It was just sad and very unbelievable. We finally made it back home at around 8 a.m. on Monday. We arrived at the hospital. It was probably 10, 10.30. Yeah, like like 10-ish. And we didn't leave until like 8 in the morning. He was finally in the ICU. We left him there. Um, we came back home just to, you know, try to, to sleep for a little bit. My son was exhausted. He, My son, he did sleep for like a couple of hours in the in the hospital. Um, cause they gave us like a separate room for us to be in. And my, so my son could, um, just take a nap or something. So that was very nice from the hospital that they were able to accommodate us in that way. Um, we came home, we slept for like probably five hours. We woke up, took a shower, went back to the hospital went back to the ICU. We were able to see him. There was a lot of doctors in and out. They were trying to do many different things to him, different studies, different tests, this, that, the other thing. Then we found out LifeLink was there. My husband had signed up to be an organ donor, which I had completely forgotten about. Um, when he walked in, I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. So they asked, do you want to go through with it? And I said, yes, because that's something that he would have wanted to. Obviously, he signed up for it. Um, so it took as long as it took. Um, he Because he was an organ donor. If he wasn't an organ donor, they probably would have, you know, unplugged him. Just to say it bluntly like that. Um, the next day or as soon as the daughters came in because at the end of the day I was I'm no one 
we weren't married. While the daughters were still away, his mother would have been the next of kin. Once the daughters arrived, then the oldest daughter was the next of kin. So it was very painful for me because, you know, after 10 and a half years together, I was no one. We weren't married. I, I was literally no one. I couldn't make any decisions at all for his well-being. Um, it was either his mother or his daughters. His daughters are amazing, are amazing. We we agreed on everything, you know, and basically they told me whatever you want to do, we'll sign off on it. Like they, I can't even express how grateful I am for that. Them being so young and so, so capable and so loving and being able to handle all of those big decisions, you know, and being mature enough to understand that, um, the whole time they were like, whatever you want to do, we, we we will agree with you. Just let us know what you need. And I appreciate that so much. Um, we agreed on pretty much every single decision that had to be made. So everything was, uh, everything f- was flowing perfectly. Um, so after that, on the 12th, he was finally declared dead. Two doctors had to come in and do different tests um, to finally confirm. One of the tests was like they removed the breathing tube to see if he would. They explained to me that they asked me, do you want to be here for when we remove the breathing tube? They told me that he might gasp, his body might move, but it doesn't mean that he's alive. And I'm like, yeah, OK, I'll, I'll stay here nothing happened. Like they removed it to literally nothing happened. His body didn't react to anything. And the second doctor came in three, four hours later, he came in to do basically the same test. He checked the same points. They had done a study to his brain to see if there was any blood flow, any signs of life. There's nothing, absolutely nothing. His heart was beating because of the machines. One of his lungs had collapsed already by the second day. His skin was dark. His body was stiff. His his legs were stiff. He was bloated. I mean, it was so painful to see him like that. My son got to see him a couple of times in the ICU. We kept telling him, Papi's asleep. And he, I couldn't tell him yet that he had died. I just told him, Papi is deep asleep. The doctors kind of explained to him that he was put into a deep coma to kind of explain to him why he wasn't moving and things like that. I told everyone, please don't say the word dead yet. I'm not ready for that. And it wasn't until... The 12, when I came home, the 12 was a, what, a Wednesday, um, 10, 11, 12, Tuesday, it was a Tuesday, that I told him, my words were, Papi has become an angel already. We cried, and that was that. 
The next day we came back to the hospital. We had this very long conversation with the LifeLink people who were amazing, by the way, amazing. They, if you have the opportunity to become an organ donor, do it. Don't be afraid that, you know, LifeLink just wants to kill you because they want your organs. That was not our experience at all. They fought for my husband so hard I mean the guy was there when the doctors came and he told me okay I know the doctor said this but know that you have the right to ask for this and that and that and the other thing they were on our side at all times they weren't like okay he's dead you need you need to give up he's already dead what else are you gonna do no not at all not at all they really um helped us a lot they explained so many things to us in terms of the process of what's going to happen and what tests could be done just to make sure 100% there's no life in his brain. So many things, so many things that they were on our side and really making sure that we had all the answers, 100% understood every single word the doctors were saying. And at one point he was like, uh, the guy comes in, I overheard the conversation, but you didn't ask this question. You didn't ask that other question. You need to call back that doctor and start ask, asking those questions. Um, they were very, very helpful. So I'm very grateful for that. That was the 13th. Um, and then on the 14th was when he had the operation to use his organs they use the liver and they use the kidneys um that was on the 14th they did the honor walk which i didn't know what it was but it's when an organ donor patient is walked from his room to the operating room all the doctors and nurses that are there they line up on the sides of the hallways and they pray and honor this person um, before they go into the operating room to harvest his organs. Um, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. I mean, there were nurses crying. Like, who would have even thought, you know? And there were so many of them, 50 or 60 of them. There was a lot of nurses and doctors out there for him, you know, it was beautiful. It was humbling. It was a beautiful experience for my son to to watch. My son wanted to record that. I didn't want to because I didn't want to have a recording or even a picture of my husband being dead. Um, my son insisted like, yeah, I, I want to record this. And I'm like, okay, baby, go ahead. He recorded the entire walk from the room to the operating room recorded his father and it it was a beautiful thing and now thinking back I'm glad I allowed him to do that because now he has that you know he has that memory of his father being honored me and my son were wearing dolphin shirts I was wearing a dolphin shirt that he had got me a couple of years ago and my son was wearing one of his jerseys and that was that, you know, we, we walked and we kissed. I, I didn't say goodbye. I never said goodbye to him because 
I know it's not goodbye. I know I'm going to see him again. So I didn't want to say goodbye. My son did get to hug him and kiss him and say goodbye. His mother, everyone who was there was able to say goodbye. Um, I didn't. Oh, it's so hard <laughs> to talk about these things. Um, and that was it. Um, he was cremated. He's home with us. Now we have a beautiful urn in our living room. Um, and it's, it's so weird because the urn is, his favorite beer was Bud Light. And the urn, it's that same blue Bud Light color. <laughs> and it's blue and silver. It's beautiful. It looks like him. The, it literally looks like him. So we chose that one. And then we got four smaller urns, one for each daughter, one for his father. Um, and they're in the same blue color and they have uh, silver angel wings in the front, which is so fitting. I feel like a whole entire story has been around angels and our guardian angels. So it's so fitting that his remains are in uh, uh, smaller urns with angel wings. They're, they're absolutely beautiful. And that's it. That's the whole story of, you know, how it happened, what happened. Um, it's been exactly 30 days from the day he was declared dead, um, which was um, September 12th. Today is October 12th. And it's the first time I sit down and, and tell the whole story, you know. There's parts of the story that I didn't tell because those belong to my son. And I don't want to tell his his story, you know. And of course, there's some details here and there that I didn't want to share as well. Um, but the bulk of it, the most important parts, that's what it is. There are some things that happened before his death um, that I also don't want to share because those stories belong to my son. Um, and if he one day wants to talk about it, then we, we will, but those belong to him. It's his story and just the beautiful memories he has with his father. And that's it. Um, right now we are doing better. We're okay. We have a lot of support, a lot of help, family, friends, so many people have reached out. People have been amazing. Um, my son and I will be, we will be okay. We're, we're at the house. We plan to be there for, you know, I, a long time. I, I don't, I don't even know that is, that's the thing. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Do, uh, do we want to stay here? Do we want to move somewhere else? I have no clue. I am letting my son guide me you know guide those decisions because he's only nine years old and I don't want to remove him from his school from his soccer team as long as he wants to go to that school as long as he wants to do soccer we will remain here um that that's all I know right now um I just want to be here for him I am not from here. I told you I'm Puerto Rican. I am. I don't have attachment to one place in this country. Um, I could 
pick up and move somewhere else. Like I really don't care. My job allows me to do that, but I'm thinking about my son. I'm thinking about his well-being and what is best for him. And for as long as he wants to be here, for as long as he wants to do soccer, for as long as he is happy and healthy in this place, then we will stay here. We will visit Puerto Rico more. My mom lives there. My grandparents live there. Um, So we will be visiting for the holidays, for birthdays. We will travel a little bit more. Now we will travel probably all summer. <laughs> we will go different places, um, fall breaks, spring breaks, all of that. Um, that's something that we loved to do as a family and we will keep it up. We will keep doing that because it's a way that we are going to honor. Um, my husband is to to travel and to do all the things that we did with him. So that's it. It's been talking here for like an hour and a half now thank you if you're still here thank you for listening let this be a lesson for you if you are not feeling well go seek help if you know someone who is not feeling well and you feel the need to tell them hey you need to go get checked out please do it Don't let anything just, you know, don't brush off anything because it could save your life or someone else's life. Um, Thank you for listening. I appreciate you so very much. I will see you on the next one. Bye bye.